If you have a copy of the Word of God and want to turn with us, we'll be in 2 Peter chapter number 3. It's been one of those weeks that it was a little bit difficult on my end to find the mind of God for the service. And then last night, the Lord began to deal with my heart out of this Scripture. And just a very simple, <clears throat> I don't know if it's really a thought or a subject, I guess, more uh, this morning and then uh, during the Sunday school hour some things were said that will tie right in with what's on my heart and I thank the Lord for that and putting all things together. I'm glad the Lord can do that and does that and to put all the pieces together. It's not chance or coincidence, it's just the working of God and I'm grateful uh, for Him doing that and confirming in our heart what He'd have for us to do this morning. Second Peter chapter 3, when you found your place... If you're able and willing to do so, we'll stand together out of reverence and honor to the reading of the Word of God. I'm going to read the entire chapter and uh, probably mention some things from the entire chapter this morning. Of course, we can't really preach fully on the entire chapter in a service, but I want to use it all for context and try to give you what's on my heart this morning. If you'll pray for us and the Lord will help us. 2 Peter chapter 3 And we'll begin reading in verse number 1. This second epistle, beloved, (coughs) I now write unto you, in both which I stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance, that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets, and of the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior, knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers, walking after their own lusts, and saying, Where is the promise of His coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. For this they willingly are ignorant of, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of the water and in the water, whereby the world that then was being overflowed with water perished. But the heavens and the earth which are now, by the same word, are kept in store, reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. But, beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat, the earth also, and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness, looking for and hastening unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless we, according to His promise, look for new heavens and a new earth, wherein dwelleth righteousness." Wherefore, beloved, seeing that you look for such things, be diligent that you may be found of him in peace, 
without spot and blameless. An account that the long suffering of our Lord is salvation, even as our beloved brother Paul also according to the wisdom given unto him hath written unto you, as also in all his epistles speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to be understood, which they that are unlearned and unstable rest, as they do also the other scriptures unto their own destruction. Ye therefore, beloved, seeing that ye know these things before, beware lest ye also, being led away with the error of the wicked, fall from your own steadfastness. But grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To Him be glory both now and forever. Amen. Thank you for standing. You can be seated. If the Lord will help me this morning for just a few minutes, I want to preach about the coming of the Lord. I think it's a subject that probably is preached more now than it probably ever has been. But often I think it's preached in a wrong mindset, a wrong attitude, and often in a wrong context, probably than it's ever been. It was mentioned this morning in the Sunday school hour that the majority of the time that we think about the coming of the Lord, it's always a deliverance for the people of God out of the mess we're in. And that is a certain element to the coming of the Lord in the fact that we will be delivered, that we will escape from this life. But that's not the whole picture or the whole context of the coming of the Lord. Here in the Scripture, Peter is writing to the saved. And Peter has written a whole lot. Matter of fact, his entire first epistle deals with the suffering of the people of God. And Peter, the theme of that epistle is that we will suffer as the children of God. And then he continues in 2 Peter, his second epistle, and he writes to these believers and to us today in the fact that we should not allow the sufferings that we encounter and that we go through in this life to change how we view the promises of God. And so Peter is writing to these believers about very great and precious promises, but they were guilty of holding or looking to these promises simply as an escape for what they were going through at that moment. And I feel like that we as the people of God do ourselves and the Lord and His promises a great injustice when we only view them as an escape from the situations and the circumstances that we currently find ourselves in. And so Peter mentioned some things that really the Lord began to deal with my heart about here in the Scripture about the coming of the Lord. And he mentions and focuses on some 
some things that were going on among the people of God concerning the coming of the Lord. And that is that they, number one, had been deceived about the coming of the Lord. He said here, we know in the last days uh, that there will come scoffers walking after their own lust. Uh, now the word scoff or to be a scoffer does not just necessarily have the context of making fun, though that is an element uh, of the word, but it really in its original uh, goes much deeper than that and it has to do with deception. And the word of God here, as Peter writes, he talks about them being willingly ignorant of the creation from the beginning. And if they would deny that basic truth, Peter said, then they would deny the truth of the coming of the Lord. They said, where is the promise of His coming? Or in other words, they said, where is this Lord that you've been promised would come? Where is this one that you have devoted your life to? Where is this one that you have given yourself to in hopes that he will come again? Where is this one when you're going through your trouble? Where is this one when you're sick? Where is this one when your family faces heartache? And so they begin as the scripture goes on to say that they begin to rest the scriptures. And it's not R-E-S-T as in laying down to rest, but it's W-R-E-S-T which means to twist or to pervert. They begin to make the Bible say things that it does not say or mean things it does not mean and they do this in deception and many of the people of God in Peter's day and in our day have been deceived about the coming of the Lord. You say well where is this coming? When is he coming? I don't know and neither do you. No man knows. The Lord said, no man, not even the angels in heaven. He said, my Father only is the one that knows when it's time for me to come again. And so I'm not here to set a date. I'm not here to preach you a timeline of events. I don't even know that that's technically scriptural. Now I'm going to wade out probably in some deep water this morning and preach my heart. But I do not know that we can biblically preach a timeline of events to tell us when the Lord's coming again. I understand there are some things that have to be fulfilled, but I also understand there have been some things that were preached years ago that they said would never happen until the Lord came, and they've already happened, and the Lord's not come yet. You say, what does that mean? He's not coming? No, He's still coming, but He'll come when He is ready to come. That's where they had been deceived. They thought He should have come right then. They thought he should have come on their timeline. And so that's why Peter, Peter is not boasting. And Peter is not belittling them. And Peter is not treating them as though they were ignorant when he writes the verse. He said this one thing no. Peter said out of all the things that I am telling you and preaching to you, he said, beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing. That a thousand years is with the Lord as one day and one day is a thousand years. In other words, you're standing and looking around and creating your timeline of when the Lord ought to come. But Peter said God's coming when He gets ready to come. He already has a day upon it is what Paul said. Paul 
said he had foreordained a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness. And so God has the day set and no man knows the hour or the day. But we do know he's coming. And so we can't be deceived in the fact that because he hasn't come yet, or because of what others say, or because of what certain denominations teach. Now, I'm not talking or preaching against uh, events or scriptural things in the Bible. You know me better than that. Uh, but for me to stand up here and say uh, that once this and this and this is done, uh, then the Lord has to come back. The Lord uh, sets His timeline and He'll come back on the day appointed. The Lord works in His time. That is right. He don't work in our time. He works in His time. And so many people have been deceived about the coming of the Lord. But Peter said, hey, one day is with the Lord as a thousand years. And a thousand years is just as one day. God is not constrained nor is He bound by time like we are. The old preacher said that God in Christ it was quoted this morning in the Sunday school hour that he was found in fashion as a man and being found in fashion as a man he humbled himself and became obedient unto death even the death of the cross. And the old preacher said he who knew no time stepped out of eternity and into time to take us out of time and into eternity. And so you and I, we deal in time. We deal in days. We deal in hours. We deal in weeks and months and years. But God is not constrained by time. And so what is it to God for another thousand years it's just as one day to him and so we can't get deceived about the coming of the Lord and there's a twofold deception there's a deception that he has to come at a set time and then there's the deception that was going on in Peter's day that maybe he's not coming after all if he hasn't come by now then maybe he's not coming at all or if this is going on, surely he has to come. God don't have to do anything. God is not bound by us. God is only bound by himself. But there is a certainty he is coming. That is the assurance for us. And the problem with, and I said already, and it was mentioned in the Sunday school hour, and God, it's amazing how God puts everything together. Now I'm going to tell you the reason that so many people preach it. And I'm all for I understand. Don't look up here and think I'm preaching self-righteous. I'm all for getting out of here. I'm all for leaving behind this body of flesh. I'm all for being done with the struggle with self and with sin and with Satan. But if that's all the coming of the Lord means to us, we are missing out on the blessedness of His appearing. That is what Titus said. It said looking for the great God and us not looking to get out of here, but not looking to leave it behind, but looking for His appearing to see Him, the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. That is the hope for us. That is the blessed hope. But not that, and it is that we leave it behind. But that's just a byproduct or a side benefit of seeing Him as He is. That is right. That's part of it. When we see Him as He is. That's what the writer said. Paul said, it doth, Beloved, it doth not yet appear what we shall be. 
Everybody wants to get caught up in all the technicalities. I'm not preaching this morning about being ignorant of the scriptures, but there are some things that Peter himself said that are hard to be understood. There are some mysteries that we cannot see. We see through a glass darkly, but there is a blessed truth of the fact that we may not know what we shall be, but when he shall appear, we shall be like him. And it all hinges on him appearing. That's right, us being changed hinges on him appearing. Ain't that right? The Bible said that, that the dead in Christ, he said, I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep that you saw or not, even as others which have no hope. For the Lord himself, Peter does, Paul does not put emphasis on anything else except the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout and the voice of the archangel. That is the hope we have, him coming again. But the benefit and the byproduct of him coming again is that the dead in Christ shall rise first, then we which are alive remain I shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air and so shall we ever be with the Lord we can hope in that but we don't have that hope unless he returns so it's all bound in him you say preacher it sounds like you're preaching that the coming of the Lord is all about him you're getting it we have preached and I'm saying we I am guilty I don't know how many times we were sitting outside yesterday talking with some friends at the house and we got to talking about church and, and days gone by and uh, some of us got to talking about when uh, the Lord called us to preach and when we announced our call and, and some were talking about it and I said well uh, it'll be 16 years for me this month and, and then I got last night and was studying and, and uh, I, I don't have to get in all the technicalities but as I study I got a method that I study and I write out some things as I study and usually leave it at home but I write out some things to keep it on my mind and I always put a date I've got some notebooks at home that I've filled up and some I'm filling up my hope is that if I, we're still here I can leave them to my girls one day and maybe they can put it up and, and treasure it and look back on some days but as I wrote out the date yesterday I realized that it was 16 years yesterday that I surrendered the call to preach and my life's never been the same. I thank God for it. I should be farther down the road with God than I am. But I'm glad I'm not where I started. I'm glad the Lord's brought me somewhere. I'm glad He's led me to some places. I've had some days in Canaan. I've had some days in the glory. And I thank God for it. But I look back on them 16 years and about every time that I can remember that I preached about the coming of the Lord, it was always about us and very little about Him. Oh me. Now I'm going to say 90% probably of the preaching of the coming of the Lord that's going on in our days is all about the church and not so much about Him. But the church has no hope if He doesn't return. It's about Him coming. That is our blessed hope. That is our blessed hope. And so there's deception. But then there's also some discouragement that was going on in Peter's day because the deception was going on because of the scoffers, but the discouragement was going on because of their circumstances. They were going through some things and they thought, surely, I mean, they looked at the time clock and said, surely the Lord should have come by now. And it was causing discouragement in them. They thought maybe He had failed to keep His promise. 
And if we're not careful, we'll look around. And I have said it. I believe we're in the last days. I think we're in the last of the last days. But I don't know how long the last of the last days are going to last. But I do know one day the Lord's coming. And when He does come, when He does return, when we do get to see Him as He is, it is the benefit for us that because of His return that we get out of here and get to go where He is. But we can't get discouraged. So often we do. I do. You do. We all do get discouraged because we feel like maybe He should come sooner. Or maybe He should already come. And we fail to look for His coming. Ain't that what Peter said? He, he strove, he uh, emphasized knowing in verse number 3 about the scoffers. He said there are some things that you're going to have to know. But then concerning their, their discouragement, he said you're going to have to keep looking If he doesn't come today, what do I do? We look again tomorrow. And if he doesn't come tomorrow, we'll look again the next day and the next day and the next day. For Peter said the day of the Lord in verse number 10 will come. He is coming. In verse number 12, he said looking for and hastening unto the coming of the day of God. In verse number 13, he said nevertheless, we according to his promise Look, in verse number 14, he said, Wherefore, beloved, seeing that you look for such things. He said, don't be discouraged. Keep looking. It's going to happen in God's time. He said, the Lord is not slack concerning His promise. Now, the word slack has nothing to do with God's ability. We think sometimes or have the understanding when we read that verse that it has to do with God's ability to return or that God has to overcome. But that's not what the the word means. The word slack just simply means to delay. And Peter's saying God's not delaying. The circumstances, what happened in the United States in 2020 did not delay the timeline of God's coming. That's what Peter's saying. What you're going through in your life has not delayed the timeline of God's coming. He's not slack concerning His promise as some men count slackness. He said there are some looking around and saying because the Lord's not come, He must be delaying His coming. The Lord's not delaying it. It's just not time yet. Paul put it this way. Yet a little while... And he that shall come will come, and he will not tarry. And I have said it, and I've heard other preachers and other people say it, and I'm not judging them, but it is unscriptural for us to say if the Lord tarries His coming. He never has tarried His coming. He's not tarrying His coming now. That word tarry is the same word for slackness. He's not delaying. He's not putting it off. He doesn't need a few more minutes. He doesn't need a few more days. He don't need a few more hours. He that shall come will come, and He will not tarry. He is coming. And so we don't have to be discouraged. God always keeps His promises. 
all through the word of God. Uh, it's always been, you can go all the way back to Genesis. Uh, the Lord began to deal in my heart this morning. I was driving down the road. I stayed with my grandmother last night and I was driving down the road to go back home this morning and the Lord began to deal in my heart and he said, go all the way back to Genesis and read and look and think about. It's always about me making a promise and some people doubting whether it's going to come or taking extra time or thinking it wasn't going to come through. But he said, I always came through. I thought about Abraham in the beginning. God called him out and said, I'm going to give you a son. It took a little longer than Abraham and Sarah thought it should have. They got sidetracked along the way. They thought they knew better than God. But in the end, God kept his promise. I thought about when the children of Israel were in bondage in Egypt. Joseph, as he's dying, saying, God will surely deliver you. And when he does, you carry my bones up out of this land. Don't leave me here. And for 430 years, they had dwelled in bondage in the land of Egypt. But there came a day when God visited them and he brought them out. They wondered if he would. Some might have wondered if he could. But I'm telling you, God kept his promise. And matter of fact, if you read in Exodus chapter 12, I think it is in verse number 31, it spoke about the promise of God and that it was 430 years. And he, the writer said on the 430th year, in the self same day, in other words, God had a day marked on his calendar in heaven that he was going to get the children of Israel out of Egypt. It didn't happen a day early and it didn't happen a day late. It happened when God set for it to happen. And then we think about them years when the children of Israel in the land of Jerusalem and the Jewish people looked for the Messiah to come. And they spent hundreds of years in silence between the Old and the New Testament. And they wondered if the Lord would keep His promise. Isaiah wrote about Him. Others wrote about Him about how that out of Bethlehem, though she be the least among all the nations, there would arise of the Son of God, the seed of David, to sit on the throne of David. How that Isaiah said that He would be called Wonderful, a Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace, and God would give to Him the throne of His Father David. And they waited, and they looked, and they waited, and they looked, and some men came along and had mighty power with God, and they thought maybe He'd be the one but he failed and it turned out he wasn't the one and they got discouraged thought well the Messiah ain't never going to come they entered in them hundreds of years of silence between Malachi and Matthew they thought surely God's forgot us surely God's mistaken surely God ain't sending a Messiah but oh we open the New Testament and out yonder on the hillside watching their flocks by night there's a group of shepherds and the angel of God says hey I've come to bring you good tidings of great joy it shall be to all people that one you've looked for that one you've hoped for that one they've searched for he has come and in God's time he came he lived 33 plus years died a perfect death on a cross outside of Jerusalem they put him in a grave he got up on that third appointed morning ascended back to the Father he said I'm not going to leave you comfortless but he said when I get back where I'm going I'll send another comforter just like me and he'll guide you into all truth and remind you of the words bring into your remembrance all the things wherein I've said unto you and they tarried at Jerusalem he said you wait there until you be endued with power from on high some of them probably thought it ought to happen instantly but it's a few days before the Holy Ghost came but he came right on time 
And here we are. We're in the last days, really, in all honesty. They were issued in at the day of Pentecost. It began the last days of the church. And they went out and preached that He's been crucified, that He got up by the power of God, that He ascended back to the Father, and He's coming again. And ever since Pentecost, the message ain't changed. He died, He arose, He ascended, and He's coming again. I thought about 16 years ago, as I stood behind the pulpit, I preached from John 3.16 that He died, and He got up, He went away, and He's coming again. 16 years later, I'm still preaching the same message, but I'm telling you what, it's not changed, He is coming again. And He will keep His promise. See, that's what the scoffers said. They said, since the fathers fell asleep, all things continued as they were from creation. What they're saying is what we've heard in our day. Well, Grandpa said the Lord was coming. Grandpa died and the Lord didn't come. Mom and Daddy said the Lord was coming. They died and the Lord ain't come. I've heard people say, I've heard all my life that the Lord's coming, but He ain't come yet. Will you just hang on? He's still coming. That gives hope to us in the midst of our discouragement that He is coming. But then I want to say lastly, and I'm done this morning, I don't know if it's done anything for you or not. But there wasn't just, there wasn't just deception and there wasn't just discouragement, but there was some despair. What despair means, it's a byproduct of discouragement. It means to be in a place where you feel like there is no hope or there is no purpose. And that's where these believers had got to. And Peter writes very... If you read this scripture that I read to you this morning and just take your time and read through it, Peter writes very affectionately to them. He calls them beloved on many occasions. He's trying to get to their heart because they felt like there was no purpose. The Lord had not come and they felt like they had no purpose. And I feel like in these days... I'm convinced by the help of the Lord that we're about in that day again today. That the people of God look around at all the circumstances. We're, we get discouraged. Maybe we're a little deceived about the coming of the Lord. We get discouraged because He's not coming. Then we feel, we're left feeling like there's no purpose for us. Now, I'm going to be real careful here. Because Peter said we are to look for that day. That is our hope. Our hope is built on that, that He's coming again. But we can't let that rob us of what purpose He has for us while we're here. If all we were to do was to be saved, to get out of here, then the minute we got saved, we'd have checked out of here. But there's a purpose for us. And we can't lose sight of that. You say, what is that purpose? Well, I think Peter addressed it here. He said in verse number 18, he said, But grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's a growth process. And we can't be in such despair, feel like we've lost hope, feel like we've lost purpose, because the Lord's not come and go over in our corner and sit down and say, I'm just going to tarry here. I'm just going to bide my time. until the... That's what many people feel like we're supposed to do. We get saved and then we just exist until the Lord comes. The Lord didn't just mean for us to exist. He said, I've come that my sheep might have life and that they might have life more abundantly. And the abundant life is not in heaven, it's here. 
He didn't save us to just warm 18 inches of foam rubber on the pew. He didn't save us just to manage and get by until we got out of here. He didn't save us to look just for the getting out of here. He saved us and asked us and called for us to look for His appearing. And while we're looking for His appearing, there's a work to be done. To grow in grace and in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus. He stressed the growing. It's like a child. A child is not born to get out of this life. A child is born to grow. And you and I are not born again just to get out of here. I feel like that is the mindset of much preaching about salvation that it's just simply to get out of here. But that's not scriptural. Getting out of here is a part of it. Escaping hell is a part of it. A home in heaven is a part of it. But there's a lot between the beginning and the end that must be lived and can be lived with victory and joy. Most preaching in our day about the Christian life is that if there is a Christian life, that it's full of sorrow. And we, we do experience sorrow and heartache. We go through valleys and we go through storms. And the old saying that the old preacher, I think Brother Billy Mitchell from Jamestown, Tennessee, was the one that said it. You're either in a storm, coming out of one, or going in one in the Christian life. And that is a reality. But even in the midst of the storm, because He is with us, and we have that relationship, then there's joy and victory even in the storm. And it's through those storms that we grow. It's what Peter Peter is now at the end of his last chapter of his last epistle. He is reemphasizing what he said in the first chapter of his first epistle that we're giving all diligence, we're to add to our faith virtue and to virtue temperance, to temperance patience, godliness, brotherly kindness. All these things we're to grow in grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus. I'm going to tell you something. You can't grow in knowledge of somebody if you don't spend some time with them. You cannot truly grow in knowledge about someone by what everybody else tells you about them. And we're living in a Christian life where the preacher or the elders of the church are telling everybody else about Him and that's the only knowledge they have of the Lord besides salvation is what everybody else tells them. But Paul said that I may know Him Know Him. And if you look up that word know, in its original, it is the most intimate knowledge there can be. It is a oneness. It has to do, it carries the same picture of a man leaving his father and mother and cleaving unto his wife and they being one flesh. That's the same context of the word know. Paul said, I want Him and me to be one together. And he said, I'm going to do it through the fellowship of his suffering. Now that's a big deal. We don't like suffering. I don't like, I don't know anybody that likes to suffer. And we want to know him in the power of his resurrection, but that's the second part, not the first part. Paul said if we're going to get to the power of His resurrection, that is, that's not being saved. That's overcoming the obstacles. That's overcoming with joy. Overcoming with power. And so it's not about salvation. That's a power that's experienced after salvation. The power of His resurrection are to overcome in the fellowship of His sufferings. 
You say, how do we do this, preacher? Being made conformable unto His death. So what the Scripture says, we must die out. It's in the book of Philippians. Paul wrote, it's been mentioned several times over the last few services, Galatians chapter 2, verse number 20, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, Christ liveth in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me, Gave himself for me. That's what Paul's talking about. That we know him in the fellowship of his sufferings and the power of his resurrection. So, this thing about the coming of the Lord, it is something we look for. It is something we look to. That's what the believers were so discouraged. And Paul wrote to them in the epistle of Titus that we're to look for. Titus 2.12, I think it is looking for that blessed hope. The glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior Jesus Christ, looking for Him. And that's how we overcome our suffering, is we look to Him. That's what Paul, if you believe him to be the writer of the book of Hebrews, wrote to those Hebrew believers that were undergoing persecution and suffering. He said, For consider Him. Think about Him. Look to Him, being Christ which endured such contradiction of sinners against Himself. You've not resisted unto blood, but Paul said, He did. Consider Him, lest you be wearied and faint in your minds. Looking unto Jesus, wherefore we're compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is sat down at the right hand of the Majesty on high. So it's all about Him. Our deception is overcome by Him. Our discouragement is overcome by Him. Look back. Look at God's... I think Brother Tim made mention of it several weeks ago, maybe months ago, the way time flies. Have you ever considered God's track record... Have you ever really, I'm, I'm asking you honestly, have you ever sat down and thought about his track record? How many times has he messed up? How many times has he failed? How many times has he not come through on his word? The songwriter wrote, there's never a time. Tell me a time he's not been faithful. Tell me a moment his mercies aren't new. There's never a time. And so for our discouragement, we're to look to Him. Go back to Abraham's day. And Abraham was flesh like us. He failed like us. He had doubts like us. But God came through on His promise. Not because of Abraham, but because God said so. Here's the reality. God comes through on His promises not because of us, but because of Him. When God... When God issues an oath or issues a promise or gives a covenant he binds himself to that we don't bind God we don't hold God to his word God holds himself to his word it's what the Bible said it's impossible for God to lie and the writer of Hebrews said when God could swear by no greater he swore by himself to Abraham God did what he did for Abraham for God God did what He did in delivering the children of Israel for God. God did what He did in sending His Son for God. And God will come again and get us and reveal His Son to us 
for himself. That is right. He's coming for his purchased possession. That he may present us to himself. Now ain't that something? In our world, in our mindset, it's always the bride that fixes herself up and presents herself to the groom. But in our instance, it's the groom that's fixing up the bride and will in turn present the bride to himself. Because it's all about him. It's all about him. It seems to me that in the last few weeks, and I'm not complaining, but it seems to me the last few weeks that's been the real hinge about everything I've preached is the reality that it's all about Him. Because if we miss that, we missed it all. And we have got to the place in our churches that we are missing that. That it is all about Him. When we come in, we should come for Him. When we sing, we should sing not because we can carry a tune or can't carry a tune. It doesn't matter. We're doing it for Him. That He could get glory. Brother Tim mentioned this morning Brother David Brainerd. He said his heaven was to glorify God. We far too long, and, and I'm not downing anybody. We sing all kinds of songs, and people say all kinds of things about heaven and all the things we'll do there, and I'm not so sure. I'm not so sure. Maybe in time, I don't know. I'm not so sure that it's going to be all about all them other things. But I think John Newton probably had it the right, most right of anybody. He said, when we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. I thank God let him in on it. He said, when I praise God for 10,000 years, I'm just getting started because that's what heaven's all about. When we think about that we can't bow our and we ought to bow our knees and we ought to give him praise but I can't praise him in this fleshly body like he deserves to be praised but I'm glad and not because of me but because of him one day I'll be able to give him perfect praise because I'll be a perfect man just like Christ and so all of this praising we're doing down here is wonderful and we should do so the Lord said, let everything that hath breath, praise the Lord. I saw something, and I've thought about two great men of God. Heard both of them say something about that Scripture. One of them's gone on in glory, and one's nearing, nearing the cross and probably getting up in age. And I saw on social media one day this week a clip of Brother Sammy Allen. And he had a way about him. No other preacher I've ever been. I've not been. I wasn't around him a whole lot, but around him enough. He had a way that no other preacher had. And he's standing behind the pulpit of that camp meeting. He said, "I want everybody to do something." He said, "When I count to three, inhale." Everybody did, and he said, "Now exhale." And they did, and he did that two or three times. He said, "You know what you're doing?" He said, "You're breathing." He said, "You know what you're commanded to do because you're breathing." Praise the Lord. Oh yeah. Then I heard Brother Hanley Milby preach it in Alabama in camp meeting. He started to pull the lapel mic up real close. Started breathing into it. That's all he could hear was him breathing. 
did it three or four times, and he said, praise the Lord. It's what we're made to do. If we could ever, we, if we could ever get that in us, that we were made to praise the Lord. It's the whole purpose of our design. That the God of heaven said, I'm going to make somebody and form them in my image so they can praise me for doing it. And that's what he did. Scooped up the dust of the ground, formed it into his image and breathed into its nostrils the breath of life. You don't read that where God did that to any other part of the creation but man. And no other part of the creation, I don't care what the, uh, the hippies and the, the animal lovers, and all, I don't care what they say, no other part of creation is it ever recorded that man became a living soul. God made man different from everything else. And He made us with a purpose to praise Him. I don't know who wrote the song, but they said, I was born... To serve the Lord. And that's right. Paul said, now some people might fall out. You, 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 you have to fall out with God. You can't fall out with me. Paul, it's in the Scriptures. Paul said, I was separated from my mother's womb to preach the Gospel. Paul said, that's what I was made to do. Was to preach the Gospel. I'm going to tell you, whether it's through preaching or whatever... Purpose doesn't matter. You were made to serve Him. And when we think that because of the sin of Adam, now I want you to hear me and I'm done. I hadn't thought of this and God's putting it all in me this morning. Because of the sins of Adam, you and I have never really been able to perfectly do what we were made to do. Have you ever seen something, a machine or something that had one purpose and had a flaw? And it it could do what it was designed to do to an extent, but not the way it was designed to do it. And then you get somebody that made it, get the one that made it to step in and fix all the problems. Makes a world of difference. What I'm saying is this, you and I were made to praise Him, but sin has put a, a flaw in the system. There's a short in the system. But one day, the maker's going to step in. He's going to take care of all of that. And then for the first time, you and I are going to be able to do perfectly what we were made to do. I don't think a day or two of us fulfilling our purpose is going to be enough to satisfy us but I think thousands upon thousands upon thousands of years in, we're just going to be getting good and warmed up at doing what we were designed to do to praise Him. And so He is coming. I don't want you to lose sight of that or think we're supposed to put that, we're not supposed to file that in the back of our minds. In reality, it's supposed to be in the forefront. We're supposed to get up every morning looking for His coming, but not as a way just to get out of here but that we long to see His face.
that we long to see Him and be with Him. And longing to do that, longing to hear that Word, and we say it all the time, that we want to hear well done. Well, if we do, then we'll be growing and working and learning in the grace and knowledge of the Lord. The, the coming of the Lord should drive us to grow. The coming of the Lord should drive us to serve. It shouldn't drive us to sit somewhere and say, okay, Lord, hurry up and come get me. It should drive us to want to do more in the time we have left. I hope maybe it's helped you this morning or the Lord has spoke to you through the Word of God about the coming of the Lord. Father, I thank You this morning for this time together. I know, Lord, it's not been much on my part. 